Welcome to the Teaching Behavior Together podcast, where I provide you with actionable steps for making your classroom management plan effective by incorporating behavioral and social-emotional learning activities into your daily teaching. Hi, I'm Maria, and I have 10 years experience in the field of behavior analysis. In each episode, I will be providing you with effective and evidence-based strategies you can use to create a classroom environment you want to go to each morning. No longer will you be driving home in tears over the overwhelming feeling of trying to manage student behaviors. So sit back, listen up, and start seeing success. everyone and welcome to this episode of the Teaching Behavior Together podcast. Today we have a Q&A episode for you. I haven't done one of these in a really, really long time. So I asked over on Instagram at Teaching Behavior Together if you guys had any questions and I got a ton of questions. So I'm going to be answering a few of them or the ones that were most common here today. And then we'll hopefully be doing another episode like this in the future. So if you aren't already following me over on Instagram, go ahead and follow me over there so that whenever I do post these posts, you're able to ask any questions that you might have. But before we get into answering those questions, I do want to let you know that there's a completely free behavior intervention guide linked in the description of this podcast. The intervention guide is 20 pages of different behavioral interventions that you can use in your classroom. Each of the interventions comes with a description as well as some examples of how you can use this across the grade levels. So if you just want to add to your bank of resources or add to some different ideas that you have for behavioral interventions, go ahead and check that out. It is completely free in the description of this podcast. So let's get right into some of those questions. So the first question that I wanna answer, I get this all the time and it was asked a bunch of times um, over on Instagram is, how do I find a BCBA supervisor in a school? So most of these um, questions are coming from teachers that are looking to pursue their BCBA and they wanna find a supervisor in their school setting. Now this, again, can be a little bit challenging because a lot of BCBAs work either in a clinic-based or a home-based setting, and not a lot of BCBAs work solely in schools. Now, what I will say is that this is happening more and more. A lot more BCBAs are working in schools, which I think is great, and I think we need even more than we already have, but it can be somewhat challenging when you're looking to go into a school after you're done getting your BCBA and you really want that school-based experience. Plus, you're currently working in a school and you know a lot of what you're doing is can count and will count for hours. So it can be something that you really want to pursue, especially if you do want to go back into being a school-based BCBA or school-based behavior specialist. So what I typically recommend would be first going on the BACB website and then you can just put in your zip code and see the different BCBAs that offer supervision in your area. And then I would just send them some emails. You can send it right through that portal or that program that allows you to contact them. In your message, I will let them know that you are a school-based personnel, that you're a teacher, whatever you know, whatever your job might be, and that you really are looking for a supervisor that has school-based experience or currently works in a school that could supervise you. This will get you in front of people that already have the BCBA credential and allow you to determine if there are BCBAs in your era that are working in schools that are willing to supervise teachers that are working in schools. And a lot of times this can be really successful. But if it's not, if you're not successful with finding one on the list, then what I would do is email somebody in your district, maybe the pupil services or student support coordinator, whatever that might role might be in your district, and ask if there are any behavior specialists or BCBAs in the district that 
you might not know about or that are at different buildings. Sometimes in larger districts, this can be the case where people might not know or have a lot of interaction with those people. What I would be careful of is sometimes there are behavior specialists in districts that don't have the BCBA. Obviously, they don't have the BCBA. They can't supervise you. So just be really clear that you're looking for someone that has the BCBA credential. If there's no one in your district, then what I would do is email someone at the county level. So a lot of times there are education service centers or education centers that service the entire county for different um, needs of the county. So there might be social workers that work for the county or or behavior specialists, BCBAs that work for the county that um, go to multiple different schools throughout the, the county or the districts within that county. So what I would do is email someone at the county level and just see is there a BCBA on staff and then just try and get in contact with that person to see if they'd be willing to come supervise you at your school. And if that still doesn't work, the next step that I would take is start searching some ABA centers or ABA providers in your area and then look on their webpage. A lot of times they'll have a tab that says services or something like that. And a lot of times they'll say like home services, uh, clinic-based services, school-based services, or school-based consultation. Then what I would do if there's anything that says school-based services or school-based consultation, what I would do is email the director of that place um, or that center and just see if they have any BCBAs that uh, consult in the district that you're in or that if they have any BCBAs that are looking for to do some like private supervision and they have school-based experience and they'd be willing to supervise you. So those are like the main ways that I would go about finding a supervisor. You can do that in any order that you want to do that. A lot of times you'll be able to find someone off that BACB task li- or listserv. If you are looking for a supervisor, um, it just gives you a really great place of people, BCBs that are um, willing to supervise. It'll have a designation next to their name if they're um, willing to supervise or they have that supervision uh, credential, the CEUs that you need to supervise individuals who are pursuing the BCBA. When you are looking, I would be somewhat selective. I know when it's hard to find someone, it might just be easy to jump at the first chance or the first supervisor, but just kind of be selective, gauge their uh, school-based experience. If they don't have a lot of school-based experience, it can be just a really challenging supervision setup. A lot of times what uh, ABA or BCBA services look like in a clinic or a home-based setting is very different than what they look like in a school-based setting. So you just want someone that's familiar with that in the school-based setting so that they're providing the best supervision and the best direction for you for the future. So the next question has to do with um, some strategies for situations where you feel like you're constantly reminding a student to either stay on task or get back to whatever the direction was that you gave them. And this is a great question. Sometimes we feel like we're, we sound like a broken record in the classroom, right, where we're just constantly delivering those prompts. What I would do is use visuals in those situations. I would provide that student with some sort of visual so that you can eliminate that verbal prompt, either if you're giving it to them on their desk, if you just have like little icons taped to their desk or something, or you walk by the student and you provide some sort of gestural prompt towards whatever they're supposed to be doing, or you put your like your finger over your lips to get them to quiet down if they're talking to a peer or they're, you know, engaging in disruptive behavior in your classroom. So you kind of eliminate that verbal prompt dependence. Sometimes when our students are engaging in these behaviors and we feel like we sound like broken records, it could be because our students are somewhat prompt dependent and that they easily get off task and we're constantly giving them prompts. And as opposed to allowing them to self-monitor their behavior or teaching them the skills that they need to self-monitor behavior so they can be more independent in those situations. 
So again, what I would do is use some visual prompts, use some gestural prompts. I would provide the student with reminders, you know, maybe just like a little post-it on the desk of like what the task is at hand. And then if you feel like the student's getting off task, just walk by and point to the post-it. So again, it eliminates that verbal prompt and also teaching some of those skills like in the background of self-monitoring, allowing the student to really identify themselves. Am I on task? A lot of times what I suggest if we are teaching that type of self-monitoring skill is we give the student what's called like a motivator timer, which is just like a little timer that will vibrate um, on a, whatever interval you set it on. Now these are somewhat expensive if you go like find them on Amazon or something. So what I would do is I would just look on Amazon for a workout hit interval workout timer. It functions the exact same way, only it's like literally a fraction of the price. And then you can find these timers. It'll just vibrate and it'll cue the student back into the task that they are being asked to do. So this might be something that you look into for delivering those prompts for you and can also help decrease some of that prompt dependency that some of our students might have. The next question has to do with what my FBA and BIP process looks like in a school-based setting. And this is a great question because a lot of times this process can look a little different or just be different than what it is in a clinic-based or home-based setting. So Lucky for you, I am coming up with a school-based FBA BIP training for educators that are looking to either learn how to do FBAs and BIPs in a school-based setting, learning a, a process that would allow you to conduct a comprehensive functional behavior assessment and then write a behavior intervention plan that reflects that functional behavior assessment and really maximizes the success of our students. So this training, I'm really hoping to be out sometime in June. And if you are not already on my email list, go ahead and use the link in the description of this podcast episode so that you get first access to these trainings that I am developing. I'm developing a series of school-based trainings for school-based professionals that are looking to add to their tool bank of different behavioral and social emotional learning interventions that can be applied in the school-based setting. So that is coming. Basically though, just to give you a quick preview of it, you would conduct some indirect assessments where you're interviewing um, all the stakeholders that are involved in the case that you're working on. So parents, guardians, um, teachers, other staff members that interact with the student, the student themselves as appropriate, and you're building up that profile of a student so you really get a strong uh, profile and background of that student. And then you're also doing some direct observations where you're collecting a lot of data and collecting a lot of data on the environment, collecting a lot of data on the behavior. So to help you determine what the function of that behavior is, and then you analyze your data. And as a team, you determine the function of the behavior based on that data. And then you write a behavior intervention plan that is focused on implementing antecedent interventions as well as behavior teaching strategies where you're teaching a functionally alternative replacement behavior and you're adding a lot of reinforcement for that new skill that we're teaching that student so that we see that skill really increase and we build on the success of our students. So that's a little sneak peek, but that training will be coming very soon. Again, if you wanna know about it when it's out, go ahead and join my email list so that you are one of the first to know when these trainings are ready to go. The next question I think is really funny. It says, 
What do you do when a whole class um, often shows up with a vibe, like they're tired or emotional? How do we address this? I love that. The whole class is showing up with a vibe. Um, in these situations, it might be really beneficial to really focus on the classroom community. One of the books that I love for building classroom community is Actively Caring for People by Scott Geller. This is a great book for just building a strong classroom community that focuses on teaching empathy skills and compassion and building kindness in our classroom so that if some of our students are tired or they're emotional other students know how to support them in the classroom and it just creates a really warm and inviting classroom for students to come into so if they are feeling a certain way or they are experiencing some emotional um situations in their life where they feel like they need support from their peers or from their teacher that this classroom is set up for that Part of the Actively Caring for People program is some sort of extrinsic reinforcement. If that is something that is just not something that you like to do in your classroom, don't worry about it. You don't have to use that portion of the program, but there's so much good information. Don't let that detract you from wanting to consume that information because they do talk about some extrinsic rewards for students for engaging in these behaviors, which you know a lot of people have different feelings about that. If that's not something that's your jam in your classroom, just skip over that part and the other material in that book is gold in terms of building a really strong classroom community. The next question asks about some ideas for staff that might not believe in rewards or incentives. And again, there's a lot of feelings about rewards and incentives. There's a lot of um, different strategies out there that involve them, that don't involve them. What I would do in these situations is one, really focus on the student. Uh, I fully believe there is a time and a place for rewards and incentives to increase skills that we're looking to increase, okay? What is best for that student? Is that we are teaching skills, that we're really reinforcing those skills. All skill development starts with reinforcement, right? When when kids are learning to talk, right, when they're babies and they're babbling back and forth, we're typically reinforcing that behavior as adults by babbling back with them, right? Or when we're teaching them their first words and they're asking for different things, we're giving them those items that they're asking for. That's reinforcement. That's an quote unquote, an incentive to engage in that behavior. When they ask for something and we give it to them, that's a reward. You asked for it and now you're getting it, right? That's just how it kind of works. A lot of skill development functions based on some of those extrinsic rewards. So really focus on a team. What is best for that student? Each situation is different. Each student is an individual and we really need to assess that. The goal for rewards or incentive programs typically is that eventually we decrease the rewards and incentives and allow that behavior to contact naturally occurring reinforcement. So it can also be really helpful to give a full picture of what we really want that behavior to be like as an end product, right? So we're teaching a skill and right now this is where we're at, but this is our goal. This is what we want to see. So some staff members that might not be on board for rewards or incentives might be more on board if they see the full picture that eventually, no, we're not going to be giving this student a reward or incentive every single time they engage in that behavior, that we're going to allow that student to contact naturally occurring reinforcers by building their skills, right? If we're teaching social skills or, you know, sharing, like that's a great social skill that sometimes we are teaching and um, our students are having a hard time with that, but it's a skill that our students need to learn how to do is share with others and collaborate with others. We're teaching those skills. We start off with 
with some extrinsic rewards for engaging in appropriate sharing behavior. And eventually, what we hope that that behavior contacts is that naturally occurring reinforcer of other kids sharing back with them, right? That community and that collaboration amongst other peers and that willingness for that reciprocal relationship of sharing back and forth will really sustain that behavior over time. So that might be something that I do is give them like the big picture perspective of it. And then, you know, in some situations where the team agrees, yeah, maybe not an extrinsic reward is not necessarily appropriate for this behavior. Then I would talk about some intrinsic rewards. How do we help build the skills of our students so they're contacting intrinsic rewards? And this is definitely something that we all experience where we all do and engage in behaviors for intrinsic motivation. If you're not necessarily familiar with ACT, um, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy slash training. Some people refer to it differently. It talks a lot about verbal processes and contacting intrinsic motivation and engaging in behaviors based on values and committed actions, which can be a great thing to start teaching our students. So that can be another avenue that you take as well is that you're really teaching those values and committed actions for students. And that is a really oversimplification of what ACT is. I highly recommend just looking into what ACT is so that you can have those strategies to pull from your tool bank as well. But at the end of the day, what I really, really recommend is the team coming together and determining what is best for that student, what is going to allow that student to be most successful. And I know a lot of times that the argument against intrinsic or I'm sorry, extrinsic rewards is that they think it's not what's best for that student. But bringing in a multidisciplinary team, really discussing where the student's at, what skills we're trying to teach can really bring perspective. And again, giving that whole um, big picture view of the plan that we have for a student where again, that we're allowing the behavior to contact naturally occurring reinforcers because we're teaching skills that would allow those things to happen in the environment can be really helpful in those situations. All right, everyone, I don't want this episode to be too long. I know we're all busy and we have a lot going on. So those are the questions I'm going to answer for today. Again, sometimes I do these over on Instagram. So if you're not already following me over there, follow me at Teaching Behavior Together. So the next time I post a question box, you can get your question answered. If you have other questions, I'm happy to answer them over on Instagram. If you send me a message, I love interacting and engaging and just chatting with you guys about different behaviors. One thing to note really quickly is a lot of times I will have to respond with something along the lines of, due to my ethical code, I cannot provide individual recommendations for a student. A lot of times I get questions where it's like a little mini profile of a student, you're asking what to do for it. I can't provide individual information for students because I'm not working directly with that student and I'm not overseeing their programming. So according to the BACB ethical code, that's just something that I can't do ethically, nor would I feel comfortable doing that just because behavior is so complex and probably way more complex than an Instagram message can entail, right? So a lot of times what I can do is give you general strategies for different behaviors. And what I try and do over on Instagram is share a lot of those general strategies that you can implement in your classrooms. So that's pretty much all I have for today. I hope that you have a great rest of your day and chat with you later.